0: Everybody, and welcome into the first installment of the Rocky Top Rewind, a Vol Quest production. I am Eric Kane. That man over there is Brent Hubbs, and Brent's opening weekend of college football. I'm glad we're doing this show. It's been a whole lot of fun, you know, really from Thursday on through the weekend.
1: Uh, There's no doubt. It's been just uh, fantastic. And this is something new that we're trying that I think fans are going to like on Sunday night. So uh, jump on in here and join us and uh, type in your comments. You can ask questions when you type in a comment. We'll We'll get to as many of those as we can. We're going to have some special guests throughout the hour here that we're going to join you each and every uh, Sunday night. Uh, former ball Jonathan Wade scheduled to join us here in about 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, Matt Zenitz is going to join us at the bottom of the hour to talk about um, just kind of the state of college football with the news this week, of college football expansion, what does that mean to the SEC From a scheduling standpoint, we'll get caught up to date on all of those things from him, plus his thoughts on the first weekend in college football. Austin will join us at the bottom or at the end of the hour, the last 15 minutes or so. He's going to join us, Eric, to talk about uh, Pitt. He's had a chance to visit with uh, Coach Narduzzi, talk a little bit about the Panthers after their win in the backyard brawl over West Virginia. But plenty to get to in this first installment of the Rocky Top Rewind. We want to thank everybody for joining us at On3, and uh, certainly we have a great um, deal going for you right now. at on three, you can go check us out. All of all fans, we encourage you to, to jump on and join in the, the festivities and the dialogue on the message board and check out a lot of our great content, um, content that we had coming out of Tennessee's 59 to 10 win over Bowling Green. Both of us wrote uh, rewind review pieces. Eric, what, what's your takeaway uh, from just the rewind in, in terms of what you saw out of Tennessee, that you liked what you saw out of Tennessee that when you rewatched it, you went, Hey, they're a little better than I thought there, or maybe they weren't as good as I thought there. But what what was your takeaway when you rewatched the game?
0: Yeah, I uh, obviously, you start with the offense, and you, you saw it there here a moment ago. You got that big interception from Tamari McDonald, first play, go to the end zone, find uh, find Jalen Hyatt. I mean, w- what about a start for that? That was that was incredible. But the offense, uh, I thought they went fast. Pat Narduzzi had a chance to. Listened a little bit of Austin's uh, conversation with him, and, of course, he'll he'll talk more on that. He said he's very impressed with the tempo, said they were faster uh, with the tempo the first game this year compared to last year. Um, spread the wealth around a wide receiver from, you know, of course the, the first possession was one play. You went to Jalen Hyde and it was a touchdown, but by possession two for the Tennessee offense, already a 1st down reception for Cedric Tillman, already a 1st down reception for Brew McCoy, getting everybody actively involved, and that was a the theme throughout the entire course of the football game. Thought Tennessee went fast. Thought Tennessee ran as many plays as they wanted to. 86, that's about where Josh Heupel wants to be. They ran the football hard. I understand it's Ball State. I get it. Jabari Small ran hard. Jalen Wright, good to see him get 13 carries and lead the team in rushing in in week one. Defensively, of course, we'll we'll speak on it throughout the week. Need to get home. No sacks. uh, They were getting the ball out a little bit. I, I understand that. But still, you want to find a way to get home. Only two TFLs. Uh, but, you know, allowing only 10 points and really 7 points, one touchdown. That last one was a give-me-field goal after a an exchange fumble. A lot to like from Tennessee in week one. Some things to clean up, but offensively look good. Defensively, got to find a way to get home.
1: Yeah, I think there's no doubt about that. And here's the one thing offensively, and and Kevin – Uh, who's joining us tonight, has got a a question about this. So we'll jump on in here to Kevin's question. He he wanted to know uh, about uh, if Mincy or Crawford did enough to win the job outright there at the left tackle position. Uh, Eric, my takeaway, and I thought this watching it live, but upon watching the the rewind of it, I I don't think you can make any kind of statement on the offensive line. Look, they did what they needed to do and, and played well. But what they're going to get this weekend against Pittsburgh in terms of how they're challenged versus how Ball State played them is night and day. I was a little bit surprised Ball State rushed three and dropped eight the way they did the entire game. I I thought that they would try to come at them a little bit more. You know Pitt's going to do that. That's why I think you'll still see both left tackles because I don't know that there's enough evidence to get a real take on how those guys did. That's not a knock on them, Eric. I just didn't think they were challenged very much.
0: No, I would agree with that. Um, They were dropping a lot of guys, Ball State. They were playing their safeties deep. And credit Hendon for just nickel and a right? Joe Milton as well when he got in the football game, throwing in front of the coverage and letting, letting your guys go make plays. As far as the left tackles, you know, I, I thought they both played fine. I thought J.J. Crawford played fine when he came in there. Of course, Gerald Mincy got the start. He went the first couple of series. Then it was J.J. Crawford, and they alternated from there. Um, you know, Mincy, I, I thought he played pretty well. I, he had a couple of kickout blocks going across the line of scrimmage kicking out that in-man in the line of scrimmage, springing somebody, whether it be small or right, right up the middle. I thought he's the bigger guy. He's more athletic. I thought that showed on Thursday. Um, but again, I don't think Jeremiah Crawford played bad by any stretch of the imagination. But you're right. What Pitt's going to do, they're going to mix things up. They're going to play games with you. They're going to twist, turn, loop, bring pressure from the second layer. You're going to have to get your tight ends involved. You're going to have to get your running backs involved. I expect both of those guys to play. I don't think anybody ran away with a starting job, but if I was going to say, who stood out watching the tape more for me? I would say Gerald Mincy, and I think that's what the coaching staff wanted all along, but I don't think it's all said and done. Yeah, and here's the thing, too. I think this week is
1: different than – this week being the Pittsburgh week is different than the Ball State week. There was a plan going into the game to get both those guys in the in the game early. I think this is a situation, Eric, that whoever they start there – if that guy's playing well say let's say it's Gerald Mincy again this him. week i don't think they're going to mess with it because yeah. of all the things that Pitt does if he gets rolling and is playing pretty well th- then i think they're going to go keep going with that combination and, and rolling that way here's the other thing that stood out to me in the review piece uh, and again if you if you got questions or comments drop them in there we'd, we'd love to get to them we'd love to answer your questions that Certainly the interactive part of this show makes it fun. That's what 330 we 3.30
0: ABC, Sam Smith, 3.30 <laughs> ABC.
1: Yeah, we'll take care of that one for you, Sam. That's, that's where that one is at. But the other <laughs> thing upon the rewind to me, Eric, is I just don't think Jacob Warren and Princeton Fant get enough credit for the dirty things and the little things that they do. And I mean dirty in a positive way. Yeah. The little things that they do in this offense, they are so vital. Uh, You almost want to bubble wrap those guys through the week and make sure they're ready to go by Saturday because they don't have a lot of depth. They don't have any depth behind them at at tight end. I I think both of those guys, I thought Warren played as physical Thursday night against Ball State as we've ever seen him play in a Tennessee uniform.
0: Yeah, I would agree. You you move them around, they line up as H-backs, line up on the line. You can split them out. They do so much in the perimeter passing game as well, and this is something I go back to at Kentucky last year, Princeton fans sprung Javante Payton, and then Bayless Jones again on that next possession there, you know, Tennessee starting off hot at Kentucky. You saw a little bit of that on Thursday night as well. They do so much that no one knows about. And with Charlie Browder getting a little bit banged up in that Thursday game, you saw Hunter Salomon come in. And so they just don't, and Miles Campbell wasn't a go on Thursday. You're right. They just don't have enough depth right now, but they use both of those guys so much that it's, I mean, it's, it's crucial to their offense. And I thought they looked pretty good. they, they want to be more involved in the passing game. They say they're going to be more involved in the passing game. We'll see as the season goes along. Remember that Pittsburgh game last year, they lined up Jacob Warham in the backfield and allowed him to run a little loop route and threw it to him right in front of the goal line. So potentially you'll see something there. I was going to ask about defense, Brent. Your thoughts on obviously rushing the passer, that's going to be a, a, a thing. But Aaron Beasley, I thought was flying all over the place. I understand it's Ball State. Thought it was a positive that Aaron Beasley played as well as he did. have it checked the PFF grades, but I would assume... He graded out pretty highly. Yeah, I think he
1: graded out the highest of anybody that played 20 snaps or more yeah. uh, in, in the PFF. Now, some of those grades are a little bit uh, – I don't completely follow how they come up with with those grades. But when you look at that grade and you look at his play, particularly in the first quarter, how he got started, I thought he was fast. I thought he was physical. He clearly looked uh, bigger, played bigger than what he yep. did. Um, I don't know when Juwan Mitchell is going to play. I do think he'll play this fall for Tennessee. I don't know if it'll be this week or when it's going to be. But if you've got Mitchell and you've got Banks and you've got a bigger Aaron Beasley, you're, you're, you're I mean, that's an extra body deeper there uh, th- than you had. Um, A year ago, when when it was basically you you couldn't get Beasley and Banks off the field, but I I thought I thought Beasley was good. We've got a lot of questions, by the way, about the secondary. Yeah, me and I'll comment on the secondary here here in a second. But we're going to have Jonathan Wade on here in another segment to talk about secondary play. I wanted to get him on specifically uh, because I knew that this question would come up uh, quite a bit about the secondary. So Brad and Colin and uh, all y'all who have been asking about uh, the secondary play, particularly Warren Burrell, we're going to dive into that pretty deep with, with Jonathan Wade coming up here in, in just a few minutes as, as we get ready to roll into another segment of the show. But Matthew Williams has got a question. Uh, he said he left early or left at the end of the third quarter, uh, but uh, he, he liked what he, what he saw, but what he saw the second team O-line didn't seem that great. Fair to say depth isn't up to par Eric, I feel like from a depth standpoint, they probably think they can go, what, seven, eight deep that they feel pretty comfortable with. I, I don't know that they would feel great with wholesale subs. You gotta remember now, if 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 you got a situation where say um, Cooper Mays had to come out of the game, he lost his helmet or or he had to get retaped or or a minor tweak or something, Carvin's gonna slide inside. And I guess Ali Lane is their sixth at this point. And Dane Davis would be their third offensive yeah. tackle. But they would mix and match um, as opposed to wholesale changes there. They do not have, in my opinion, they do not have ten guys that are just completely interchangeable parts. But I don't know who in college football does right now.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. It would be Jerome Carvinger back up center. Ollie Lane likely coming come in at guard. You could also see a scenario where Dane Davis is your swing tackle. He could slide inside and play guard as well. They're, they're repping him there, and he can be a guy that could go – Either side play guard, you might flip Ollie around, whatever the case may be. There's not 10 guys, wouldn't be, as you pointed out, five in, five out. But I, are they as deep as they want to be? I would say no, no team ever is. But, I mean, it's about kind of where you were last year in this regard. But they do like some of these young guys. I will say they like, you know, the the makeup down the line of Addison Nichols. They like the makeup of Masai Reddick in particular. Uh, but they're just not ready yet. So I would say that it would be kind of those type of guys filling in in the short term Uh, More so than anything. I know we're going to get Jonathan Wade here in just a moment. I want to ask you one more thing. Notice early in the game, notice that Thursday night, but also on the rewatch, third downs, fourth downs, subbing some personnel in there, taking the star out with Tamari McDonald. Elijah Herring in, another freshman that got some early run.
1: Yeah, I was a little surprised at what they were doing there. I think they were just kind of flirting around, messing around with some stuff to see kind of what it looked like. I did not think Tim Banks was very exotic uh, in terms of what they did in the defensive front. I know they didn't get home, which was a disappointment. They played no games up there. I didn't see yep. any twists or stunts upon a rewatch, no stimming. They were very basic, kind of head-up, straight-up, one-on-one type stuff. Still, Tennessee didn't get home, and I think that's a concern. But they were playing with some different personnel there, Elijah Herring playing early. I, I love the 17 snaps that Jonathan Josephs gave. I don't know that he's ready to play 17 against Pitt, but I tell you what, that that guy's got all the makeup to be a really he good jumped. football player. He, he jumped
0: off of the film. He, he
1: did. He did. I, I thought he did. I thought his first step and his get off was really good. He had the PBU. He was close a couple of times to, to really causing some havoc in the backfield. I, I liked what you saw out of him, which I think bodes well for, for Tennessee moving forward. So um, lots of things to get to. Um, we're, we're gonna we're gonna reset here, just a, a quick break. We're gonna take the reset. when we come back on the other side of this break. Uh, we hope to catch up with former vault Jonathan Wade. And again, Brad and uh, Colin and and uh, all of you guys who have had questions about secondary play. We're gonna dive into that a little bit here with Jonathan Wade talking about Tennessee's corners and talking about the secondary in general. We'll do that when we come back. We want to welcome you again to the first installment of the Rocky Top Rewind. So we're just going to be going for about 90 seconds or so. Everybody just grab a drink of water if they need to. We're going to get reset with our next guest here. We'll be right back to talk a lot more about Tennessee and Ball State, Tennessee and Pittsburgh. Uh, we got some other things coming up for the rest of the hour here, but we want to thank you for joining us for our first install. But, hey, go tell a friend. Say, hey, they're doing this thing on YouTube. It's pretty cool. Come check them out. We're going to do this every Sunday night at 8 o'clock. We call it the Rocky Top Rewind. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute.
0: Hey, welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind. Brent Hubbs, I'm Eric Kane, and that guy right there, Jonathan Wade, VFL, guy that knows a thing or two about playing some defensive back. Jonathan, what's going on, man? Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me. Thanks for thinking about me so early with the
0: first show. Congratulations, you guys. This is awesome.
2: Thank you.
1: Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. The AOL screen name was was it Big Pimpin' or just Pimpin' <laughs> for you when you were coming out of high school, Jay Wade?
2: That's so embarrassing. <laughs> oh <my God.
1: laughs> I'm going to tell a quick story on Jay Wade. This is the truth. Now, if I'm not, you correct me if I'm wrong. But you summer camped at Tennessee, maybe in June. Uh, or, or July, and you yeah, committed. Sometimes. You you committed in the summer. There was no dead period in July back then. I don't think there certainly wasn't a full month. You committed right. sometime late June or early July. I was at the lake that the day that on the day that you committed to Tennessee. But for whatever reason, man, I always remember your AOL screen name. It just cracked me up. That I still have my AOL address by the way. I'm sure you don't. So I didn't mean <laughs> to embarrass goodness. you, but I I do I do want to tell everybody how old I am, and I appreciate <laughs> you joining us on the show. Man, you look great. Looked like you can still play a little bit. Um, wh- what did you make of Tennessee's secondary uh, Thursday night against Ball State? They gave up 270 or so yards passing. But you, what did you see out of the Tennessee secondary when you watched your, ball, your balls play on Thursday night?
2: I saw energy and fight, which is uh, which is important. You got to have that. You don't want some guys that are robots. You don't want guys that are just going to lay down and let whatever happen happen. Um we're going to give up yards. Uh, you're going to get scored on. But the ability to just keep competing or the want to, to drive to just keep competing play after play was good to see for sure.
1: A lot of people are asking, and, and I, I don't, I, I can't remember all the names in here. I can pull it up real quick. A lot of people are asking about Warren Burrell right now and, and kind of what you see out of Warren. He got picked on quite a bit uh, at, the, at the end of last year. He, he's a guy who's played a lot of football. But mm-hmm. he got picked on again. I mean, it looks like part of the game plan for opponents is they want to go after Warren Burrell. When you know that as a player, that you know teams feel like they can come at you, how do you handle that psychologically? And how do you go from being a guy that people see as a liability to becoming the guy that nobody, you know, that, that they, don't, they become leery of challenging you? And, and what's Burrell's challenge to do that?
2: Honestly, when you become the guy they want to pick on, it's gonna one of the two things are going to happen. You're going to eventually play yourself into becoming a major liability, or you're going to play yourself into the guy where they can't throw it. Um, and, and the more you take on that responsibility, which is you want a guy who wants that. Um, I remember I, I'm not sure if they still play boundary corner and field corner, but that was a thing when I was playing, you know, the X receiver, the Dwayne Bowes, the the. The, the 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 Sydney Rice's the the receivers they would be in the boundary and you wanted a guy who could go and challenge those guys regardless of what's gonna happen you know they're gonna make their plays because they're on scholarship like you and a lot of times those boundary receivers those X receivers are on their way to the next level especially coming out of the SEC but you want to you want a guy who can take on that challenge week in and week out without wearing it you know. I, I,
1: how hard is it to play this position to play the corner position in the SEC i mean how, how mentally is, is it more mentally challenging more physically challenging is it equal what, what is the difficulty of being a corner in the league particularly with the way offenses are being played right now in, in football Jonathan
2: that's a great question that's why you're doing this um mentally from week to week it's a different receiver a different group uh crop of receivers you know um physically. It's gonna be challenging because they're big. <laughs> now, a lot of the other guys are big as well. And um, but mentally it's just you got to deal with this group of receivers and the way that they run their offense. Then the next week it's another group of receivers in the in the way they run their offense. And we're talking from Florida to Georgia to Kentucky to whoever to Ole Miss this week. Everything's a different type of wrinkle, and they're trying to perfect it. So I would think that would be the toughest test.
0: Jonathan, I want to go back to Warren Burrell real quick because again, we have so many people wanting to know. And from a guy that's played at, played at a high level, you you kind of know what's going on in that helmet right now. A guy that's been a three year starter, played a whole mm-hmm. lot of football. You know, started getting picked on a little bit towards the end of last season. When you see his game, you know, what do you like in his game? There's a reason he's out there, right? And, and I thought even on Thursday. You know, they were going at him early. Ball State watched the film. They saw the Music City Bowl. They saw the South Alabama game last year, so they knew to go after him. But I even thought on Thursday he responded well, made a couple tackles in front of the sticks. What do you like about Warren Burrell's game?
2: Um, I was told by Coach Slade sometimes that all you need to do is just see one. You know, just go make one play. Go make the first play. And then it'll kind of snowball from there. Here's the exact words to me with the first interception, then, but it's not always an interception. Sometimes it's a tackle that you need to feel yourself make. You need to feel yourself make that first hit, that first play, and then go from there. We never, he has the measurables. He looks great. He has the size. He has the length. He has the attitude. He has the fight back. All those things you, you know, you hate to see a corner with a great skill set, but then they can't mentally continue to fight back. He showed that Thursday. And he wears, number, he wears I, number four,
0: too, right? Right, right, I right. right. Say, got right, me, right. <laughs> hey, I want to ask one more about a guy that uh, you know, was a newcomer last year, and it feels like every time he's in the ball game, he's making plays. Made you another know, play on uh, on Thursday night, Kamal Haddon. Uh, I think and he missed a lot of camp and everything. What do you like about Kamal Haddon's game? Because I feel like he's a spark plug, I feel like he's a guy that can really add a lot to the secondary. Obviously, you're hunting down interceptions.
2: Spark plug is exactly the attitude you need in your secondary. You need a spark plug. You need an energy guy, a someone who can just get everybody going, regardless if it's rain. Everybody feels good when it's sunny outside. But you know those guys that just want it anyway when it's muddy, when it's snow, when no one wants to practice? That's probably the, the – the, that besides this game, you know, the energy, just bringing energy nonstop is so important because four quarters is a long game
1: yeah it certainly is and and he was a guy who again it's going to be hard to keep him out of the lineup i think with the way that he plays and and the link that he plays with the other thing i see when you talk about putting the whole secondary picture together jonathan is is defending the middle of the football field and mm-hmm. listen th- this is a football this is a football problem for defenses there's a reason the kansas city chiefs are throwing it throughout the you know between the hash marks every week on Sundays. Everybody mm-hmm. in the NFL is doing this if you've got a quarterback. Right. Pitt a year ago with Kenny Pickett, Pickett was 18 of 22 with two touchdowns, 191 yards between the hash marks. This past uh, Thursday in the backyard ball against West Virginia, Pitt's quarterback was 10 of 13 in the middle of the field. How hard is it to defend the middle of the field, Jonathan?
2: I discipline. Uh, unfortunately for that safety back there or safeties back there, Um, their eyes can get so caught up with everything that's going on in front of them. And once you lose your eye discipline for a split second, I mean, it is truly for a split second at this level of play, you can be out leveraged. And if you got a good quarterback and got a guy who knows how to run a route, you know, it's a tight end. A lot of times guys are sending these big monster tight ends, which didn't exist when I was playing either, but they're sending these monsters up the middle of the field. It's hard to match up once they get body leverage. It's basketball on grass at that point how
1: hard is it to marry the the linebackers with the safeties in the middle of the field because you know linebackers have the same eye discipline stand, from the standpoint too a lot of times right because they've got the drops that they've got to make if you're playing zone i mean it seems like it's a pretty tough match which is why you got to get home with some pressure i guess but it, the middle of the field right now seems harder to defend to defend in football than it's ever been to to defend Imagine I' don't know why that's this game
2: you got linebackers who are trained to read run first now they're trained to read run and pass equally but they're trained to read run first you have safeties that are trained to read pass first so in the middle of the field on every play you have a split just the first, just at the snap no. of the ball, you're gonna have a split, which is automatically gonna create a gap in the middle of the hole, and people are just now starting to exploit that.
1: Is that is that why pressure is such a premium right now? Is that why that you've got to find a way to get home in some way because if you just it becomes seven on seven, right? If you're just absolutely back there, with
2: respect, and absolutely with the rules, you can't hit them here, you can't. It's absolutely becoming seven on seven. So getting home, bringing the extra person, hopefully having enough up front to get home. Everything no. starts up front. I wish I'd have knew that back then. I'd have took those guys out to eat more. <laughs> but I understand that everything starts up front. If you've got four guys up front who can get home, oh my gosh. Yeah.
1: yeah. Or, or instead of taking them out, you might've just stayed on the offensive side of the ball and played wide
0: receiver, right? Which is what <laughs> you
1: arrived at doing, right?
2: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> hey Jonathan, I got one more for you. You know, being back there in that secondary, Something Tennessee struggled with a lot last year, and hopefully we'll, you know, make some adjustments this year. Is a mobile quarterback running on, you know, extending plays, not only just running to get yards, but also getting out of the pocket, moving around a little bit. As a member of the secondary, a safety, a cornerback, or whatever, when that quarterback's rolling out one side, you know, the field shrinks a little bit. Kind of how are you coached to play that in order to still defend the pass and not get the guy behind you, but also know that, you know, he could take off running. You got to go add some aid up there as well.
2: Um, They used to give us a word called plaster, um, which everyone would just yell. And it just meant to turn around and go find your receiver. Normally, what what would happen back when I was playing, (laughs) when the quarterback would break the pocket like that, there were very few quarterbacks who could actually make a throw that mattered at that point. It was just like a free-for-all. You know, somebody's going to get an interception on this play. But now with the way these quarterbacks are being trained and the, and the uh, abilities that they have, you absolutely must stick to your receiver um, and allow the other players on your team to do their job. Um, because if you if, if if he breaks containment and you lose your guy now, you're the player in a position in, in the in the um, in the position to get stuck because you don't know whether to go get him or cover your guy. Because we don't know when they cross the line of scrimmage. As You know, there's no way to really know that. That's why that old pump fake still works. Jonathan, do you like th- this
1: era of football? Do you like what you like the RPO? And I know as a defensive back, it's, it's really hard to defend. Do you like watching it? Or as, as an old DB, do you sit there and go, geez, Louise, that's such an unfair advantage for my guys back there. It makes it really difficult to do
2: anything. You know what the biggest disadvantage is? Honestly, uh, I don't mind it at all. It's fun for me. It's it's it, it puts more DBs on the field. I'm, I'll go for that. Um, but I wish they would just I wish they would make one pass interference rule. That's it. That's the only thing I would change Just even if it's going to just bring the NFL rule to college so those kids can learn how to play that. But I love the game. It's, it's fun. It's exciting. Um, it, it gives everybody a chance to get the ball. Um, you know, with the when it was a straight drop back, I wasn't as exciting as it was Mm -hmm. now. So,
1: so what are you into these days? What's get let everybody know what you're into. What 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 are you up to these days? And uh, and what's your involvement in the game? And and what's going on with you, man?
2: Um, well, man, I'm I am currently just uh, I'm trying to help the football back. Whoa, I got a dog in there, so I get out.
0: Hey, to- I've been hearing them the whole time. I'm <laughs> like, man, hey, someone's wanting you to get off right here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I got a, um, I just went back to my hometown and uh, got with a high school, and I'm going back to get with another one. I just kind of spending some time with the programs and with the guys, and kind of uh, giving them some of the feedback that I see where you know where things could be better. If if they're great, you know, let's keep it going this way. But um, I'm kind of one of those people. It, it, I the information that I have, I can't use anymore, if that makes any sense. Sure. So I want to give it to everyone that I can. Anyone that will listen and take it serious, I want to give it back.
1: Well, that's that's awesome for giving back to the game. And um, thanks for sharing the game with us tonight. Yeah. Uh, it, it helps for everybody out there listening that says, you know, what one play can do for a guy like Warren Burrell and and, and just your insight into how he's playing versus what we think, th- what we think he's doing from – whatever section we're sitting in or wherever we're section sitting setting, setting at watching the game. So we certainly appreciate you joining us on the first installment tonight, man. It's great to see you. You look like yeah, you can play it, a little bit this, this weekend. You want to come suit up and go? You, you got any reps left?
2: Third downs only. Third downs
1: <laughs> only. <laughs> All right. Sounds good, man. Hey, thanks for joining us, man. It's great to see you.
2: Thank you. You guys have a blessed night. All right. Appreciate Thank it, Jonathan.
0: I'll, I'll say this too. Hey, he's coming up on the uh, VFL Players Lounge this week. So if you like what you heard right there, a little teaser, he's going to join us here to preview Pittsburgh as well. But hey, coming up next here on the Rocky Top Rewind, we're going to be joined by On3's Matt Zenitz. A lot of changes going on in college football right now and for the future. What's that mean for Tennessee? And what's that mean for the SEC? We'll discuss it next with Matt Zenitz. Brent Hubbs, I'm Harry Kane. This is Rocky Top Rewind. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind here on the VolQuest YouTube channel. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. Uh, First installment, going good so far. You know, got, got a pretty good guest on there. We got a... One more good guest coming up, and then we got Austin Price in the show. But <laughs> hey, he's Brent Hubs. I'm Eric Kane. Brent, hey, Kate, Kate. A lot of, like I said, a lot of changes going on in college football. Of course, we live in an era of name, image, likeness. We live in an era of the transfer portal. There's been discussion of unlimited transfers, all that type of stuff. But one thing that has been on the topic for the last couple of years, and now is going to happen: expanded playoffs. Uh, got some automatic qualifiers going. This thing's going to go to twelve. Is it going to happen before 2026? What's that mean for Tennessee and the SEC with Oklahoma and Texas? Uh, kind of all that, throwing it at you, your, your thoughts on all that with the news breaking.
1: Well, the fact of the matter, I mean, we know it's we knew it was coming at some point, no matter whatever alliance. Once the USC and UCLA was headed to the Big 12, there was no alliance between the Pac-12, the Big 10, and the ACC that, that was kind of blocking things. I'm fascinated to see, you know, Greg Sankey's response to all this is kind of like, well, we'll wait and see. We're not we're not gonna be in a hurry. We're not gonna be in a rush to any any judgment or anything like that. But it will change certainly the landscape of the SEC. I know Tennessee has recently done a couple of um non-conference games, a couple of those buy games, and there are clauses into those contracts, Eric, that that gives them an out of that game without penalty, without any kind of real penalty if the league goes to nine conference games. So I think everybody in the conference who is um, going through and, you know, working on non-conference scheduling has to put those parameters in place, particularly for those by games, because you, you just may not play them. You know, you may not be hosting UT Martin or Akron in, in Neyland stadium, because that may become another conference game. I just, and, and Matt's going to join us in a minute to, to talk about this, but I, I think he's probably in the same camp. It's just hard to see, if the, if the playoffs are expanded, it's just I just can't see how the SEC is not going to go to nine conference games when you're adding Oklahoma and Texas into the mix here. So, so it only makes sense to me that that's going to happen. And speaking of the man, there he is. He covers college football nationally for On3. Matt Zenitz joins us on the program here. Matt, thanks for your time, and thanks for being a part of the initial Rocky Top Rewind. We're talking a little bit about the news this week. Uh, with the expanded college football playoffs. I'm sure not a shock to you, right? I mean, this was it was more a matter of when, not
3: if, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, this had been in the the works for, for a while, going back to the initial proposal last summer. And uh, I, I'm sure you guys agree. It seemed like only a matter of time. And obviously, that's ultimately the case right now, where um, people involved with, with, with the playoff, that the way have summed it up, uh, essentially, whether it's Marquina, or, or Bill Hancock or guys along those lines uh, have just kind of summed it up along the lines of this was the time.
1: Is is that just because of the money? Is, is, that, is that the bottom line of this thing? Everybody's looking at the dollar figures that are available out there. It just makes sense, right? It's just – it's like the NFL. I mean, yeah, I mean, you eliminate a preseason game in the NFL because it gives you another regular season game, which means more money from a television standpoint. At some point, that's – it's the business side of things that, that generates this, right, Matt? It's definitely a
3: big part of it, the, the financial component. And obviously you look at just the, the the revenue that's generated for teams that are now going to be playing playoff games and additional teams that have the opportunity for just that financial gain. I Obviously, and I'm not saying anything groundbreaking, that that obviously plays a role in, in all of this also, including just for just everything related to the, the college football playoff and the financial part of it.
0: Would well, you like the way it's kind of structured right now? you got some automatic qualifiers and all, all that. But, I mean, obviously the way it is is, I mean, with 12 teams, from an SEC perspective, I mean, Greg Sankey's going to be you know, putting in not just two, but maybe three, four. I mean, it's going to help yep. teams like the Big Ten potentially, but the SEC. But the way that what we know about it now, the way it can be structured with automatic qualifiers, what, what's your take on all that?
3: I, I like the setup. And I, I'm not sure where you guys stood on everything in relation to the playoff, but – to, to me, I like the the idea of a model where you have more teams getting in and having a chance to compete for a national championship. I mean, as you guys know, um, wait, when it comes to sports, teams improve and change throughout the course of a year. And some teams are going to be a lot better at the end of the year than maybe they were at the beginning of the year, especially when you're dealing with 18 to 22-year-olds. And, and I like the idea of being able to get in more teams that maybe came on a, as the The season went on and giving those teams an opportunity to compete for a national championship Um, should have happened last year with with a team like Texas A&M. Speaking of SEC teams that in the new model would get an opportunity to be able to compete for for a championship that hasn't been the the case in the past. But I I like the model. Obviously, you get in um, the six highest ranked conference championships and then get in to go along with that six at large teams, the six highest ranked teams that were not conference champions. Do you
1: think that this is going to lend to more big-game matchups and because teams are not afraid to potentially lose a game and still get in the playoff? Do you think it's going to change the regular season in any way, shape, or form between conferences and even non-conference intersectional games, Matt?
3: Well, one one big thing I'll emphasize, and this is something that came up during the the CFP's call after everything was improved, they, they feel like, and this was something that Bill Hancock discussed, they feel like this is going to improve the, the quality of the, the regular season. So I know uh, that there was a lot of talk about uh, this impacting the, the greatest regular season in, in sports. I know that was one of the, the concerns that was very much prevalent on social media or just across the board after everything God announced with this. But that, that was something that Bill Hancock emphasized that he feels like, and the, the playoff, playoff committee as a whole feels like this is going to do nothing but improve – the regular season and will lead to additional, big, meaningful matchups, not only in the early part of the year, September, October, but including at the end of the year when you have additional teams that have a realistic shot of getting into the playoff.
0: So does this mean the the UT Martins are goodbye, the um, ETSU's saying goodbye to those on Tennessee's schedule? I mean, is that what that means, or would it be more or less instead of one premier non-conference game, you might get two, maybe three, and still keep one of those games? Probably one of the the,
3: the big parts is wait, what it sounded like you guys were discussing before I came on, just uh, expediting the process of maybe getting that done with additional conference game with like the, the SEC of, uh, SECs of the the world. That that's more what would immediately come to mind for for me.
1: Don't you think that the league the league? I mean, with this move, this expedites the SECs' vote to a nine-game, at least a nine-game conference schedule.
3: You would think so? Yeah, they, it should. You would think so. I mean, you yeah. know, we have uh, Oklahoma, Texas coming over. And I, I think the sooner, the better when it comes to that.
1: Yeah. The question is, how quick is that going to happen? Does this, I mean, th- does this expedite any of that? Right. Cause everybody says by 26, nobody mm-hmm. says definitely in the year 26, just by 26, could we see this stuff happening, um, you know, in the next couple of years instead of in instead of four years from now?
3: Yeah. I, I think the, in terms of likelihood, there's probably more likely with Oklahoma and Texas that that gets done sooner than the college football playoff expanding to 12 teams. So, uh, obviously, one of the things, as you guys are aware, when it comes to the playoff expansion is that at latest, it, it'll start in 2026 uh, while they shoot to have it in place even sooner than that. But I, I don't know how optimistic not to be like a Debbie downer or anything like that, but uh, I, I don't know how optimistic it should be that this will be in place b- before that. So uh, the initial proposal, like like we talked about, uh, it was last summer um, earlier this year, the, the decision was made to stay with the 14 model through the, the current TV contract, which expires after 2025. Um, but there there are just logistics involved in this including just the availability of bowl sites and and just little behind the scene scenes things along those lines um availability for individual campuses all of that um that like the great Sankeys of the world that that it leads to some pessimism there that this could happen before 2026, even though at the very least it is something that they're looking into and trying to make work.
0: We're chatting with Matt Zenitz Savon On3. Let's shift gears here a little bit, man. Look at a, a broader scope, week one of the college football season. Uh, it's still ongoing, but it's been a whole lot of fun. Man, Georgia looks great, unfortunately, for Tennessee fans. Yeah. Alabama looks like Alabama. But a lot of questions we're getting about Florida right now. Big-time win, upset win, game number one for Billy Napier against a top-10 team in Utah. What did you like in Florida, Anthony Richardson? And is this a team that uh, you know could surprise some people this year? Hey,
3: I was surprised with that outcome last night. So I have a lot of respect for, for Billy Napier. Obviously did a hell of a job in Louisiana. Uh, but that roster was depleted by Florida standards to the point that I, I think it was fair to expect some growing pains at the very least in year one. And it's a hell of a win for, for him to get things started there. So he became just the, the second... Coach since R.C. Slocum in 1989 to lead a team in his first game with new program uh, to to lead an unranked team uh, to a top 10 win in season opener that, that was first game at, at new school uh, with Mike Leach being that the only other one since 1989 when beat LSU in uh, 2020. But uh, Anthony Richardson, it helps to to have a, a talented dynamic player at the quarterback position, even if there are other deficiencies on the roster and. Um, his skill set and capability to make some of the plays that you saw against Utah is going to make them an interesting team throughout the course of the year, even though they still have a little ways to go just to get that team back to having a, a realistic shot of competing for a championship or, or anything along those lines. But if they're going to play like that and capable of beating teams like Utah, maybe they could be a more interesting factor in the SEC East and in the SEC as a whole. And maybe people like me were expecting for year one. Completely agree with you on Georgia. Um, it's funny, lose the, the amount of top-tier guys that they lost coming out of last year. Uh, have all those defensive linemen and defensive players going the first round and early part of the draft, and that that defense still looked damn good. Uh, led yeah. by guys like Jalen Carter, who uh, that, that Oregon offensive line that probably was not a, a fun film session, will not be a fun film session, depending on when they look at that. I'm sure you guys saw some of what uh, guys like Jalen Carter did to that Oregon offensive lineman, but... One of the the biggest takeaways from me from that Georgia game was, um, and I'm somebody who's been guilty of this also, just to be clear, so I'm not just pointing the finger at people, but Stetson Bennett, it's probably a time that he – like, it's reached a point where it's just very clear to me, and you guys can let me know if you agree or not, where he probably deserves more credit than than what he gets. So, like I said, I'm guilty of it too. I don't know if you guys back in the day watched the the Friday Night Lights TV show. Did either of you watch it? Yeah, I did. So, so I, I used to compare Stetson Bennett to, like, a real-life version of Matt Saracen. <laughs> yeah, that, that was my, my comparison for him. Like, the, the try-hard, feel-good story type guy who just had some deficiencies and limitations there that were very clear. He made some great plays a, a, against Oregon, and a, it seems like continues to improve, continues to get better, and a, is not just somebody at this point that benefits from talent around him, but is legitimately a playmaker and doing good things and a, is making that team um, – or putting that team in a position where it seems like they're, they're on track to uh, being not only great defensively again, but capable of doing things offensively, even though I'll point out uh, it helps to have some of the talent that he has behind him at running back and Kenny McIntosh. If um, if people around the SEC are not already familiar with with him at running back, and it would be easy to have overlooked him the last couple of years, just considering some of the guys he was behind. Um, it, it start to pay, it, it's time to start paying attention to that guy because, um, Georgia's had some very good running backs during the course of Kirby's time there and obviously throughout their history. Um, Kenny McIntosh is someone who, from an NFL standpoint, is someone that NFL scouts are very, very high on. And even before the, the game against Oregon, um, and even with the the limited contributions and opportunities through the early part of his time at Georgia, he was somebody who for, from both scouting services that NFL teams use and pay for, Blesto and National Football Scouting, both had him with second-round grades going into the year, which obviously for a running back, that's a, a very solid position to, to be in. And, and then brought up Alabama also. Alabama's going to have bigger tests. We, we'll see what they look like against uh, Texas. Be a little bit more challenging than, than Utah State this coming weekend. But um, as I'm sure you can imagine, people inside that Alabama program are very optimistic about just – their positioning for this year, not only having the, the Heisman winner back at quarterback, but feel like they should be even better defensively than, than where they were last year and in position to take a step forward there to go along with what they have uh, on offense led by Bryce Young. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, t- Tennessee to, to me, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on with you guys. Tennessee to me is one of the more interesting teams, not only in the SEC, but nationally as a whole. And speaking of, legitimate NFL draft prospects that uh, scouts are very high on scouts love Cedric Tillman. So Cedric Tillman's another one that as an NFL draft prospect deserves more love than he's currently getting. He's another one where uh, all of the draft guys talk about Jackson Smith and Jigba and Kayshaun Boutte and guys like that. Uh, With at least one of those scouting services, uh, Cedric Tillman had the same grade as, as Jackson Smith and Jigba Um, and and was right there and like that, early second round range to the, the point where like it was as early as possible as you could get with uh, second round, the, the way that he was great. And I think it was similar with the other one where at the very least it was a day two grade, but I think it was a second round grade with that other one also. So he's a very highly thought of guy and obviously just a, a great story where um, <laughs> it, it was not on the, the radar for many people on a national level before last year had a, a great year last year broke out and seems like in position to, um, uh, be part of an offense. They should once again put up some big time numbers. Well, they're
1: gonna need big time numbers this week at Pitt as well. It's great to have college football back, Matt. It's great to have you on the program tonight. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks we'll Matt. catch up. we'll catch up with you in a couple of weeks to get us uh, your thoughts on the landscape after we see everybody with a few more tests here here in a couple of weeks to see how all this shakes out. Thanks for your insight on the national scene and certainly your insight on the college football playoff. We appreciate it, Matt. Thanks.
3: No no problem at all. I appreciate you guys having me. And I look forward to being back on with
1: you guys. All right. Thanks, Matt. That's Matt Zenitz, who joins us tonight to talk about a lot of things going on in the world of college football. There is college football going on right now, by the way. Uh, Florida State is leading LSU by a score of seven to three uh, just in the closing minutes of the first half. We're going to get a break here. Eric, on the other side, we'll join by Austin Price. We're going to take your questions, uh, throw up some of your comments, discuss those as we close out this first installment of the Rocky Top Rewind
0: we got a final segment left here of the first edition of the Rocky Top Rewind, and you see the guy right there, Austin Price, joining Brent Hubbs and myself. I can hear the fireworks outside my window, so it's like they do. You were jumping on with us. What's going on, dude? How you doing?
4: Trust me. If it's outside your window, those weren't fireworks, Gabe. I was going to say glass shattering,
0: but uh, I didn't want to be too obvious with it. Hey, the nation tonight, Pat Narduzzi joined you and Chris Lowe, Uh You know, it's up on our websites, uh, vaultquest.com, of course. But big takeaways from Pat Narduzzi joining the nation tonight.
4: Well, I I think that uh, he was very complimentary of Tennessee, how much they've improved as far as the speed, the tempo they play with. As fast as they were one year ago, he said that they're going to play about every 14 seconds. I mean, really, really uh, have picked up the tempo, picked up the pace, and was very complimentary of Hendon Hooker and how much he's grown as a player since – he was inserted when Joe Milton got hurt last year. So um, Narduzzi expects a a great game coming up, uh, you know, on Saturday. And and he knows that, uh, you know, this early season test with the backyard brawl probably gave him a better kind of litmus test for, you know, what to expect with Tennessee as far as, you know, what he can expect from his players um, coming up Saturday afternoon.
1: Yeah. I think that, you know, they're more beat up, I guess, a little bit, but, you know, They had a different type of test from a physicality standpoint, and uh, that's one of the things that uh, Chaotic Turbo was asking here uh, in regards to Tennessee and the offensive playbook and how conservative were they? Do you think Tennessee is going to open that thing up? That they'll have to Austin because one, Ball State played Tennessee very differently than Pitt's going to play, and two, that Alex Golish, look when you when you jump out seventeen nothing very early in the first quarter anything you had on that playbook that you really wanted to look at or really had in your pit pocket that you thought you might need, you just put it back in your hip pocket to hold it for another day, right?
4: Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, you look at the, what this team has traditionally done, it's they'd they love to scheme them up there in the, in the first quarter and come out with a, a game plan that, you know, the, the other team is not, uh, uh, you know, waiting for. And I don't think Tennessee showed very much at all on either side of the ball. Tennessee didn't blitz. Uh, The other night against Ball State, they didn't bring a whole lot of pressure on defense. They tried to just get home with uh, you know their front four. Offensively, they didn't do a whole lot either. It was very vanilla. They took very few deep shots down the field. Uh, You go back to that Pitt game a year ago. Tennessee stretched it vertically a lot early on, and Joe Milton just missed those throws, or Tennessee would have been up twenty-one or twenty-four to nothing, um, and that may have been a hole that Pitt couldn't climb out of. So. I expect Tennessee to try to stretch it vertically, um, Saturday. Cause they, they definitely had, you know, the appearance of success last year, even though the execution wasn't there, but you know, to me, Tennessee played their B game. They showed nothing. They still won 59 to 10. I thought that was a really solid start for uh, Josh Heupel in year two. Cause you go back a year ago, hubs, they scored 38 and was very lethargic doing so against uh, Bowling green.
0: Let me issue this AP. Um, and I heard when I was catching part of that interview earlier, and of course you can hear it right now at com after the uh, Rocky Top we R- Rewind concludes. Uh, Baton Arduzzi very impressed with Tennessee's tempo, saying they're faster this year than they were last year, at least coming into the game. Tennessee ran 86 plays against uh, a ball state. Do you like where the tempo is? Obviously, how big of a factor will that be against Pitt? Um, And do do you think Tennessee can... You know, obviously use that to its advantage against a pit team that, when it gets a West Virginia team and J.T. Daniels, that's obviously not going to be anywhere on the same stratosphere.
4: Yeah, I, I think Tennessee's tempo will be the reason they win the game if Tennessee does win the game. You know, if Tennessee can avoid turnovers, I think they have an excellent chance to go on the road and improve to two and zero. And I think that the tempo will be why, because I think as much as you want to say you're prepared for it, you're just not prepared for the speed. And Tennessee practice you can't. You if, can't
0: do that in practice. You just can't.
4: You can't. You, you simply cannot match you know, as much as you want to, you cannot. And so, you know, I, I think that, that that tempo will be a big, big reason why Tennessee has success. If Tennessee is able to get up there and, and and get their footing about them early on Saturday, if they can have, uh, you know, the plays drawn up and execute this year uh, like they did last year. And again, that's easy to say um, Then I, I think they have a real chance to get off to a hot start at that point. I think that the, There will be no foot off the gas pedal like there was last year against Missouri or South Carolina. I think that Josh Heupel will keep the the gas pedal down well through the third quarter if if, if he can get off to a hot start.
1: Yeah, it would be interesting to see if Pitt plays as much man coverage as they did a year ago. They really did challenge Tennessee with man coverage, and Tennessee answered the bell. They just couldn't contribute there. Sam Smith also has an interesting question about special teams. We know a year ago Christian Charles got the block. Um, West Virginia got a block against Pitt, got close to a couple others. How big of a factor can Micah Eckler's unit be in changing the game? They obviously found something they liked a year ago and exploited it, Austin, and Pitt had some issues in the Thursday night game against West Virginia.
4: Yeah, that's right. And I, I think that that's something they'll at least try to dive into. Now, can they get home? I don't know, but can they do enough to disrupt to cause the punter some angst and he, you know, struggles Thanks. a little bit? Yeah. That that can also have a huge impact on the game. Where you, you instead of flipping the field and kicking it forty five or fifty yards, you you shank one and you know you only kick it twelve or thirteen or twenty yards. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, even if they're not able to get home, uh, the pressure can have a huge impact. I, I'm interested to see what they do. Like you know when they actually try to return a punt Saturday. This would be a different game than this past week. You know are, are they just going to be you know comfortable with the fair catch and get it to the offense and go? or do they want to try to make a play on special teams uh, in the punt return game? Boy, if they're only going to fair catch it back there, I'm sending the house,
1: Eric. I mean, I'm coming after them. If my whole game is just to have the ball at the end of the play, you know, with, with Trayvon Flowers back there, I'm as aggressive as I could possibly be up front trying to get to to the kicker. That's just me. But no. if that's if that's your game plan in the punt return, come
0: get him. Well, and, and maybe that'll change once D. Williams gets back there, potentially, but – you know, 2020 wasn't a whole lot of fun because you know Bayless wasn't back there returning punts, and you know, I mean, everybody knows what Bayless gave that offense returning punts. But I'm with you if that's the case, go get it. Austin, I do want to ask you this kind of what kind of going off what Dustin Smiley's saying right now, not necessarily about the stacks, but playing a lot of guys. You played game one, it's in the rearview mirror. You check the film and all that. You know, they didn't rotate a lot of guys in the secondary until the very end last night, but or Thursday night. But I think that rotation's going to go down a little bit. You're not going to see the garlands, the pages and all that in this football game so early on. You're not going to see you know, maybe you will, but I'm talking about like the Dominic Bailey's and on the defensive line. I think that they're going to trim them that, that rotation, play more snaps with those guys on defense obviously because the challenge is going to be so much greater uh, with that offense from Pip.
4: Well, see I think you will see Garland and Page. Um, you know, I think the linebacker rotation is different than the the secondary rotation just because I think B&J They did rotate this
0: game last year as well, so I would say yeah, that. I- I think B.J. likes
4: to rotate as much as he can. I mean, obviously, he wants fresh bodies in there and doesn't want, you know, guys to get tired. Um, you know, Juju Mitchell, uh, he's a, to be determined. Um, if I was putting money on it, <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> um, you know, but we'll see. Um, you know, we'll see what Coach Heupel has to say. He was very vague the other night after the game, um, which, you know, is a is kind of a, more of a head-scratcher. Makes me wonder if he'll be available this weekend type of thing. Um, but I, I think the rotation for linebacker will be more than the rotation of the secondary. I'm interested to see how much Kamal Haddon can continue to give him hover. We had him on the locker room earlier tonight. This kid's clearly, you know, rolling with confidence. Feels like that he can, you know, he, he's starting to get his footing after missing a lot of time in fall camp. Um, learned a lot of things when he was watching in fall camp versus, you know, being out there just because he was forced to. Um, so I think if he can, you know, continue to give him something, I think that's a good thing because I think he's Tennessee's most talented corner and I think they need him to assert himself and be that going forward.
1: Yeah. I, I thought he was terrific on, on Thursday night. I mean, I think he played 18 snaps, they threw it at him four times. I think he gave up one catch, and he had an interception in one of the other four throws his way. I, I thought his coverage was really good, which goes back to this question, too, a little bit, that John Baxter's asking. Can Tennessee's defense stop Pitt's run game without stacking the box and becoming susceptible to their play-action game? Eric, that gets back to what I was talking to Jonathan Wade about a little bit earlier in the show in terms of the middle of the field. I mentioned this stat a year ago. Kenny Pickett picked Tennessee apart in the middle of the field, 18 of 22 191 yards, two touchdowns between the hashes. Uh, Slovis uh, in the backyard brawl was 10 of 13 between the hash marks or between the numbers. But Pitt didn't run the ball very well. Yeah. Um, so can Tennessee handle the run game without committing extra people there and and opening themselves up in the middle of the field? I think that's a great question uh, in, in terms of what they can do against the run come Saturday afternoon.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And, I mean, uh, one thing's for certain, Pitt's going to try to run the football. They're going to try to establish that running game. Uh, Narduzzi wanted to do that last year as the season went on, he couldn't do it because Kenny Pickett was incredible, but he's made it a point saying he's going to do it. They tried to do it on Thursday nights. Didn't work out that much. Um, so we don't have an answer for that right now because you didn't get a good look from ball state, but Tennessee early on in the season last year was pretty stout against the run ended up as the season went on. They kind of gave up more than what you want, but I'm intrigued to see what happens. Obviously pit game ended this week, this Saturday, We're going to preview it all week long, but a a big-time matchup for Tennessee after a Week 1 59-10 victory and blowout fashion to kick off college football. Brent Hubbs, football season is back, and Rocky Top Rewind starts. Hey, this is a whole lot of fun tonight.
1: It certainly was. We appreciate Matt Zenitz joining us, Jonathan Wade joining us, and, of course, Austin Price coming in at the end to close this thing out. It, we got to get him, like, the trumpet music that the, the guy from the Mets, you know, comes into yeah. or something. I mean, he needs some walk-up music into this final segment that, that he's going to participate in uh, every week here on the Rocky Top Rewind. But it's been a lot of fun in our first show. Hope you guys have enjoyed us uh, being, being a part of it. Tell your friends. Tell everybody 8 o'clock every Sunday night. We're going to be right here doing this thing for an hour.
4: Eight o'clock every Sunday night. These two guys will have it. I'll slide in on the backside after the nation and the locker room. But more importantly, if you're watching and you're not a member of VolQuest.com, don't forget, it's only a dollar. You can find that much loose change in your couch right now or in your cup holder in your car. A dollar for the first year. A dollar for the first year of VolQuest at On3. It's been a great first weekend, and our subscribers have been rocking it. We've been knocking out a lot of content, and we appreciate everybody who's been able to jump on with us, whether it be Wade and Zenith on this show or any of our loyal subscribers that have followed us. I mean, they, 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 we just appreciate everything they've done.
0: Yeah, certainly, certainly have. It's been a blast, Eric. It's been so much fun. Hey, for Brent Hubs an awesome price. Go ahead and like this video as well. Let's get to 500. Let's take care of that. $1 for one year over at com. We've had a blast. Awesome price. Help pay I'm Eric King. salary. Thank you so much, yeah, for real, for joining us here on Rocky Top Rewind and have a great rest of your Sunday night and happy Labor Day.